0: scripture reading this morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and we'll be reading verses 1 through 30. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified.
1: Thank you for that reading, Trevin. It is one of the glorious passages of Scripture. And we'll be referring back to it as we consider First John chapter four. Uh, this morning we will return again to First John chapter four, and we're going to look uh, particularly at verses 17 and 18. Uh, but I will begin reading at verse uh, at verse 14. As we read this, there's one of the things that we need to have clear in our mind. And that is, uh, this passage uses the word love many times. And it's easy for us to get confused at what sort of love he is talking about. And in this particular set of verses, uh, we could simply, everywhere there is the word love, we could say God's love. And so this is not talking about our love, but it's talking about God's love. Now, in the verses that follow, in verses 19, 20, and 21, um, that is there talking about our love. Uh, but in the verses we're looking at this morning, it's speaking about God's love. So keep that in mind as we read. This is 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. For the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we want to consider what it means that God's love removes fear. In fact, the text uses the word casts out fear and replaces that fear with confidence. And so, this morning, we want to consider two foundations of confidence. And then we want to see two results of confidence. God's love has given to us these two foundations of confidence, belief in Jesus as savior and an abiding in God's love. Those are the foundation of a love that is then perfected in us and a love that brings confidence. And so Let's consider first these two foundations. Both of these foundations source from God's prior and equipping love. Notice the final verse that we said, that we read there. That we love, but God first loved. We love because God first loved. And so we believe that these foundations are God's love given to us and that our loves source from His love to us. And so the first foundation is a belief in Christ. First foundation of understanding God's love is that we must believe something about Christ. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Begins with a direction, a, a de- declaration of belief. Belief in the Christian life is, is the intersection of God's work and our understanding of it or our observation of it. For the apostles, they had seen and testified. And so this, this God's work was something they had observed with their eyes. For us, it is the trustworthy word of God that we read. And we see his nature being declared to us. We also have the historically accurate accounts of God's work in the world. And it is evident of the action of God in the world. And so our belief is not something that is baseless, but it's something that sources from what we know and what we understand to be true. It is, as this verse says, is a confession. If we confess, and a confession is merely to say that something is true. And so when we confess our sinfulness, we're merely agreeing with God in what He says about us. When we have a confession of faith, we're distilling scriptural truth into a statement. And so a confession merely represents something as truth. And so to confess our faith in Christ is to declare our belief in it. And so the first foundation is a declaration of truth, that Jesus is the messiah that Jesus came from God to bear our sin. And it's upon that declaration then that we move to the second. And that is that we abide. Before we consider that, I would I would say to you here today if you if Christ is not your lord, if you have not made that declaration, if you have not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then here today we ask you to consider that. Who is the man Jesus? Is he the Messiah? And if he is, would you put your faith and trust in him? When we say we believe in Jesus as the Messiah, we are saying that Jesus Died on the cross in our place. And in bearing our penalty there, he sets to right the relationship between God and man. Before Jesus, man had to bring sacrifices to enter into the presence of God, and that entering was restricted to a representative man, the high priest. And there was a veil on that temple that hid the presence of God from man. But Jesus entered not only the Holy of Holies built by man, but he entered the very presence of God. In fact, in the incarnation, he brought the presence of God down to earth, to man. And on the cross, his death remove the separation that sin places between God and man. The veil was torn in half because there now no longer needed to be sacrifices. God's presence was now available to all of humanity. And so when we declare our faith in Christ, when we place our faith in in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we become as he is. Think about that. In verse 17, he says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus existed as the very son of God in the world. And because of his sacrifice, every single one of us can now exist as the child of God. And as God was Jesus' father, he is now our father. And we his purchased children. And this moves us to the second foundation. Because God has made a way for us to return as his children, to be in right relationship with him. He calls us to abide with him. God's love to us in Christ provides the ability for us to abide with God and to call him, as the Romans writer does, Abba, Father. Here in this presence, we can directly and fully begin to share the nature of our father. In the kids assembly, I asked them what they knew about me. And some of them knew some things. And then I asked them if um, if tomorrow I was gonna set off on a trip to Florida, how many of them would just jump in the car and go with me? Well, there's three kids there that probably would, because they are my child. And they know me and they trust me and they understand my goodness because they have lived with me. They also know some other things, but we're not talking about those. Um, They know that along the way we're probably going to stop somewhere and grab some ice cream. They know that they're going to be taken care of because they know my character. In the same way, Christ calls us. Christ has made a way for us to abide with the Father. His presence is now imminent. This abiding presence should remind us of the Garden of Eden. When originally there was no shame or sin that separated man and God. Adam and Eve could walk before God in openness and could interact with God in his fullness. But we also see in the garden the effect of sin. That as soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed, they were blinded by guilt and shame and they avoided and rejected the presence of God. But Jesus reverses that curse that separation, and brings us into relationship with God, a relationship that is personal and direct. And in this abiding, we begin to experience what Romans 8 called the spirit of life that sets us free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So Romans 8 has this play back and forth between the spirit of life in Christ and the law of sin and death that binds humanity. In this spirit of life, God dwells in us, and our hearts become the holy of holies. His presence is now with man and within man. It is this presence of God This abiding with God that gives life to our mortal bodies. It's as we live in communion with his presence that we put on the new man of righteousness and put away the old man of flesh. And so our two foundations are That Jesus is the one that sets us right with God and brings us into abiding presence with Him. And what then are the two results? The first is this interesting phrase that God's love is perfected or that love is perfected in us. This perfecting results in real and visible change. The presence of God is not an inactive presence, but it is an active and a reactive presence. As we trust in Christ for our salvation, as we abide with God, those realities result in a changed heart and a nature that pursues righteousness. I think as I've often stated, we we have this dichotomy or separation of faith and works. That somehow they're different. That somehow they're separate. But, But this separation of faith and works is not one the Bible identifies. In fact, James is quite clear that if you have a faith, if you could somehow have a faith that didn't change how you worked, then that faith is dead and is non-existent. Again, we said earlier that this declaration of faith is a declaration of truth. And truth simply cannot be divorced from action. When we attempt to do that, that's what we call rebellion. And rebellion against truth always results in destruction. This is the truth of the laws of nature. If you go around a corner at a certain speed, you're safe. If you rebel against that truth and you go at a speed that's not safe, you will tumble to your harm. And we could apply that to many other spheres of life. Truth demands action. Truth demands an abiding with truth, an acknowledgement of truth a changing to represent that truth. Romans 8 again clears this up for us by giving us the results of walking in the spirit of life. In verse 9, we see that our mind is now set on Christ, and the things of the spirit, the renewing of our mind and the intake of the mind of Christ results from faith and abiding. Truth renews our mind, and the renewal of mind changes our actions. Every one of us has probably attended a conference of, of some sort at a time. And these conferences exist to declare a truth. And so this weekend, some of us were at a conference in Lancaster. And you know, I think when we go to those, we don't say that everything with, that we heard changes us, but we do come away changed by what's there. And so whether you go to a spiritual conference or maybe you go to a work conference where you're learning something about your job, often you'll learn something new and you come back to your job the next day and you begin saying, well, how can I take this truth and implement it into my life? And it's as we abide with Christ, as we learn more of him, as we abide in his word and learn of his truth, we begin to bring that to bear on our life. And it's as his love and his truth changes us that his love is perfected. In a sense, his love is made effective in us. The mind of Christ born in us causes us to be children of righteousness and not slaves of the flesh. The child seeks to obey in love, the child seeks to obey in trust and the child obeys as a result of abiding. Secondarily, and then flowing from that, the other result is that God's love brings confidence. When we understand Christ as Savior, when we understand that He invites us to abide, and that at abiding we become like Him, Then his love brings confidence. What is the opposite of confidence? I think the opposite of confidence is fear. Many of us have different fears, and it's often the fear of the unknown. I'm not sure what I'm going to get here. So if you're afraid of the dark, you're not afraid of the dark because there's nothing there. Or because there is something there, you're afraid of the dark because you don't know what's there. And you have no confidence for what you're going to figure out. You may be afraid of a particular animal because you don't know how that thing's going to treat you. You may be afraid of a piece of machinery because you're not confident in it. And you're afraid you're either going to hurt something with it or it's going to hurt you. Fear is a result of not having confidence. But our text says that love casts out fear. Love brings confidence. And the text also tells us something about fear. That fear, specifically towards God, is the result of expected punishment. When we exist in a posture to God that expects punishment, then we will rightly be afraid. And again, if our faith is not in Christ, if He is not our Savior, we do have much to fear. If if we have not placed our faith and trust in Christ, then there is no sacrifice for our sin. And there is an expected judgment and punishment. But in Christ... That fear is removed. I think we as Christians still wrestle with this fear. And we wrestle because we know ourselves. We know that we are yet tainted by sin. And I think we know we're more sinful than what we realize. The original sin of Adam and Eve was to prefer their own lordship, their own governance, over the loving lordship of their creator. And every single one of us still struggles with that original sin. I would rather be my own lord. The way I like to do things is preferred to me. In fact, I think if we're honest, even the things we desire to do good and right are often tainted by our desire to be our own Lord. And so, part of knowing that we are sinful is a right acknowledgement that we deserve God's just judgment. We all fear that judgment We all fear that punishment. But as our text explains, God's love overcomes that fear because God's love to us in Christ has dealt with that punishment. God in Christ bore that on the cross and thus has overcome our fear. How is it that we can abide? How is it that we broken, unrighteous people can stand before God confident that He will abide with us, confident that He will save, confident that He will be our Savior? It's because Christ in our stead has bore that penalty. The veil is torn in two and we can now approach the presence of God boldly. And we can bring all of who we are into His presence. And it's abiding in His presence that then changes and shapes us into that image. And so... Brothers and sisters, in the blood of Christ, we have nothing to fear in the presence of God. Our Father is one who longs to welcome us and abide with us. Because of Christ, the accompanying warning is is that without Christ, there is No relief from God's punishment. None of us will be able to make ourselves righteous enough. None of us will be able to present ourselves righteous. It's only as we presented righteous in Christ that we can stand before him with no fear. this morning as you consider the love of God and you consider it's perfecting in you. Has His presence had an effect on your life? Have you continually entered His presence? First in confession, acknowledging your brokenness. Second in communion, to understand Him and know Him. And thirdly, to have that presence shape you. If you are doing that, if you can do that, then there is no fear in his presence. Let us pray. Father, this morning we are again grateful for your love. a love that knew our brokenness, a love that knew each one of us would reject you, but yet a love that sacrificed of itself to make us right and whole. Father, I pray that you would continue by your presence to to change us into the image of Christ. That as he is in the earth, that we may be as well. That as he was the faithful servant, that in him we may be as well. That as he was the obedient servant, that we may be as well. That as he sacrificed himself, that we may as well sacrifice ourselves, as he was your representative to the earth. Father, may we be your representatives. Thank you, Father, that in Christ we can approach you without fear, that we can abide with you and we can commune with you. Father, would you continue to call each of us to that abiding? And that your presence may manifest itself in us by the changing of our hearts and the changing of our behaviors. Father, we're thankful for the glorious gospel of Christ that sets us free. And Father, as we go throughout this week, in a time in which our community and our nation uh, considers thankfulness. Father, may the source of our thankfulness be first our thankfulness for the gospel, but then also for the many blessings that you have given us. Thank you again for your great love. In Christ we pray. Amen.